Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dear gas prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style. Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected. Plush premium interiors and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So, now you know who you're talking to. Toyota, the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. With a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver. Seriously, dear gas prices? Do you really think you can stand in our way? Think again. Toyota hybrids. Find yours at toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Based on manufacturer estimates, CY 2000 through 2021 sales. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera. We are missing Mark Mosey this week, but that's okay. We have got the very capable, and I don't I mean that sincerely, Les, the very, very capable Les Roberts. Uh, I mean, you're more than capable, buddy, but, but, I, but, but, but saying very capable almost sounds like more of a compliment than just saying, you know, the capable that means almost like your replacement level. And I don't want you to ever feel that way, buddy. I th- I just being described as capable is enough for me. I don't think I've ever <laughs> had that before. So, <laughs> Well, as um, God, man, um, you know, it's funny because whenever Mark's away, I always think this is an opportunity to talk about actual uh, non-Everton things, uh, you know, because for some reason, Mark, who is one of the smartest uh, coolest guys I know uh, seems allergic to talk about allergic to movie talk or music talk. Uh, and normally if I've got just you and me on, it's like, I'm get, I can get away with it a little bit more. And look, I, I will still shoehorn that shit in as much as I can. But I was saying before we hit record though, Les, that like as much as I would love to get into non Everton things today, it just sometimes the, 
I don't know if it's the story writes itself or the events of the day sort of dictate things, but I don't even know where to begin because since the last time we recorded, tell me if I'm missing anything, okay? Um, we had the announcement and all the hype around the walkout. Uh, then we had Marcel Brands leaving the club. Then we had the game. We had the walkout sort of kind of failing a little bit, at least in terms of the gesture. We'll talk about that as we get into it, even though I, I still am for the movement, of course. But And then the game itself, Les, and I swear to God, uh, maybe it's because Everton wins so infrequently, but it feels like this win has so many talking points that that I just don't know where to begin. So... Look, I, I feel like the Marcel Brands thing, you and I have probably touched on that. Mark and I have touched on it on the last couple of spaces that we did. I, I think we've kind of beaten that subject to death. But before we get into the Arsenal game on Monday, uh, from this past Monday, do you have any other kind of final thoughts that have been processing, stewing, anything else about Marcel Brands and the kind of ascension of Rafa Benitez to a more powerful place at the club? Um, not a lot really, other than we still don't know anything about Mar- what Marcel Brands did or his vision for the club. Um, yeah. And if we if we think about it logically, the writing was on the wall as soon as Benitez took the job. Right. Benitez, wherever he goes, he gets what he wants or he walks. And there's no way Mashiri was going to do anything but back what he wanted, having appointed him. He's not gonna. He's not going to back down. And give him the boot, or not give him what he wants after what three months in charge, whatever it is, four months. Yeah. So I think I think if we look at it sort of realistically, this was probably coming a long time ago. Wasn't the writing on the wall when they hired Carlo Ancelotti though? I mean, I, just because, it, and this is why the whole sequence of things was strange because it appeared very clear at the time that the club hired Carlo Ancelotti that that was certainly not a quote brand's choice hmm. and then the subsequent signings of James Rodriguez, Alan and uh, Decore you know maybe Ben Godfrey was a uh, was a brand signing the fact that we are still playing this game of trying to give our best guess as to who who signed who is really the biggest indictment of the yeah. entire structure isn't it yeah I mean it, it, we shouldn't be in any doubt as to what his job was he was it should have been in charge of recruitment in charge of the academy and nothing really improved while he was there. The academy probably went backwards. Yeah. I mean, I think it was on its way down anyway. But it's, you know, the, the players were bringing through, not making the first team, selling phenomenal amounts. Um, and if you look, if you compare that with Liverpool, they're selling players no one's ever heard of for 15, 20 million because they've got that academy now that's got that reputation. Whereas Everton did have an academy with that reputation, but that's slowly been eroded, I think. And it's not not what it was because it's not producing the players that it should be. Well, Liverpool can also sell their players for inflated prices because they're success successful, yeah. right? I mean, there's, yeah. that's got to be. I, I think that there is some sort of um, yeah semi symbiotic relationship between uh, a club's ability to value prospects. Uh, 
at, at a high level, even if they've never played for the first team or they barely played for the first team, I think about, I don't know, half a dozen Southampton buys from Liverpool over the yeah. years. But it seems like it's got to be related just simply to the to the name value of a club that, that is winning things. Like if Everton were winning things, they might – uh, you know, it, it's sort of chicken or egg. Would, they'd probably be winning more if the academy was better. And and really it goes back to the kind of Pyrrhic victories of winning the PL2 titles and stuff like that, which like you know, at a certain point, it just doesn't matter because the entire point of the academy system is the development of players who will either eventually make it to the first team or perform so well that we can sell them on as assets. Is that a pretty fair characterization? Yeah, I think so. It's kind of like the tax on England players as well, isn't it? Yeah. So if the player's English, they automatically lost 10, 15 million on the value. Just on that Premier League too, just quickly. So this is how bad our luck has been with derbies. So me, my dad and the kids went to um, the final game of the season when Everton under-23s won the Premier League too. It yeah. was against Liverpool. It was like, come on, it's the big day. We've got to beat Liverpool. Sure. This level, didn't. We got, <laughs> the day we lifted the title, we got beat by them at home. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That seems very... That seems very Everton on some level, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't think you gave it up now. Yeah, I look, I can't, yeah, I can only talk about the Academy so much before I start to get sad. So I don't want to do that. Um, let's, let's just jump into the game because um, I don't know. Um, like I said, I think that sometimes the, the wins feel more significant um, because, frankly, of where we're at right now and, and how, how, uh, infrequent uh, success has been for us, especially this season, or or especially the last couple of months. I mean, I, more than anything, I, I want to isolate the or kind of kind of divide these into discussions about the in, the immediate important importance of the game and the results, which we just needed when you haven't won anything for two months and you're flirting with relegation. Which hey, we're up to twelve, but one game, and that's a huge relief, but. You know, we've seen how fast it can all turn. Um, so that part's important. In the bigger picture of things, obviously, because of kind of where things are with the club and everything else, this this felt big because I, I found after re-watching certain parts of it and, and obviously having watched the game, um, uh, I don't know how you say it, li- watch it li- live but not in person, whatever that means, you know, watch it on television. Um, it, it was funny to me how many – Everton's storylines were encapsulate like bigger picture storylines, almost like microcosms were were upon microcosms inside of one single game. Um, everything from uh, your your best center half who has injury issues coming back after a long layoff and thirty minutes in being injured again. Um, you know, I've I've I just I mean the Yerry Munich thing makes me sad, but at the same time. I, re- I remembered that, God, how many of Everton's best players have had injury issues and how, how much is that part of the huge problem that we have at the club? Then you had the you had VAR rearing its ugly head. Um, the first goal, okay. I still probably, there's a part of me that thinks that if you were introducing this sport to a new consumer of the sport – that you'd have to explain to them how having your elbow swinging slightly forward across an invisible line uh, is a competitive advantage that you've gained that should negate a goal, which is a very rare thing 
in, you know, relatively speaking, that happens in a game. But fine. That second one, I don't care what anyone says. I, I, I understand. I understand what they're talking about, and that they've added this second line in there, what have you. But I, I don't. I mean, we're talking about millimeters of, uh, or, or maybe an inch of a foot. And I still think, I think my idea, Les, and I'd love your thoughts on this too, probably, is that why don't they just say that as long as any part of the, you know, the, the attacking player's foot is in line with any part of the defending player's foot that, you know, you're on, you've been played yeah. on side at that point. I don't know. I, no one has a, a perfect solution, but I don't, yeah, whatever. I don't want to get too deep into that. The goal, the, the, the game winning goal, and I wanted to point this out. I don't know if you've gone back and watched it a million times like I have, Les. Uh, you know, it gets me real excited, gets me hot watching that goal. Um, <laughs> one of the things that was that also felt like kind of a um, boy, what does this say about Everton? Is you had a, a, everyone involved in that goal. It was really interesting. You had Mason Holgate who at one point was the great hope of, of this, of the future of Everton's back, back four or back line um, getting this. And I think people kind of missed this, but he had a pretty crucial kind of athletic acrobatic interception. That ball was, was kicked out and deflected straight to, to straight to Alan, who, you know, his, as inconsistent as he can be put a, perfect you know outlet pass out to Andre Gomez now at any point of this sequence you're waiting for something to fail I'm waiting for Allen's pass to get, get intercepted because god we've seen this all season how many times they can't mm-hmm. put three passes together but then Andre Gomez speaking of players that we put a lot of hope in that have had horrible injury histories at Everton <laughs> just being generally underwhelming looks like I I think as much as the goal, and don't get me wrong, the goal, of course, the finish is the best part. But that finish doesn't happen without an absolute set of world-class moves from Andre Gomez. Yeah, he also that midfield, doesn't he? He said, but it was like slow motion. It yeah. was, I think Matt, Matt Flusk described it well. It was like he swerved this way, swerved that way. It was like... It was like watching one of those old uh, slow motion highlight films of they used to do this over here and over here uh, on Saturday mornings. NFL Films presents NFL Films is has always you know done these like really movie production level recordings of of football of American football games over here. And the best part of it was they put this like amazing dramatic classical music to this slow motion shot of a running back like making a juke and a move here and then getting past the guy and running like the Bay watch run you know for a touchdown in slow motion it's incredible but Andre Gomez is so Andre Gomez is so slow like I just sort of expected that he's going to get the ball taken off of him at any time but he Jedi mind tricked the fuck out of those guys (laughs) and just got it upfield got it to um, Damari Gray who did the rest and I'll, I'll tell you Les everything that I love and hate, including players involved in that sequence. <laughs> and, and really just it felt so Everton to have all of the ideas that Everton have had, or several of the ideas Everton have had over the last few years encapsulated into one sequence. 
Failed idea, Mason Holgate. I don't know how we feel about Alan, but sometimes some people hate him and some people love him, and I, I don't. I I think I think I don't know how I feel about. Yeah, him. I think I've got a burning indifference. Really, he can. Yeah, it's like a two-show thing. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. You just don't yeah, know. and that can be yeah. in the space of five minutes as well. Yeah, very true. Andre Gomez, the idea of Andre Gomez, what we saw, that was the idea. That was what we thought we were signing. And yeah. he'll do that. And then we'll think, like we talked about at the end of the game, well, now he's got to start. Let's see how he does. And then, and then inevitably the magic somehow disappears. So I'm, I'm fully expecting him to just be back to being a, you know, a slug again against Palace. But it was the best outcome of, of the idea of Andre Gomez to the to, to one of the very few ideas that has absolutely positively come off in flying fashion, which is the the absolute robbery of uh, of <laughs> Damari Gray from uh, was it Leverkusen? Leverkusen, Leverkusen right? yeah. I am I'm, I'm I feel like I could write a ten thousand word essay on that goal alone and how it ties to the recent business dealings of Everton in the last few years and the hopes and dreams and failures and successes all at once. But I, man. Everything that I was so mad about, as dejected as I was when those two goals were disallowed, seeing the way that they fought back, seeing how Richarlison reacted, and then a stoppage time goal where I knew my friends were in the in the Gladys Street and other parts of the park just going ape shit. I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it, Les? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're in it for. And as you said, it doesn't really happen that often. So you've really got to milk it and enjoy it when it does Um Hence, everyone going back and watching it about 3,000 times since uh, since Monday. But um, just to pick up on a couple of the points there, the um, VAR thing, the offside rule, that has just annoyed me for so long because there's physically nothing a striker can do to know that that part of his body is going to be offside. So I, I just think with that rule, if you've got to start drawing lines on the pitch, it's not offside. You give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker, which is how it should be anyway. And when players are level, you know, they're on side. So as a striker, when you're learning how to play the game, you look across that line. And if you look at that defender in your level, it doesn't matter if your arm swings out like that ahead mm. of them. As the linesman sees it, he can see that two bodies are level, two players are level. That's on side. As a striker, that's all you can do. Similarly, as a defender, that's all you can do. You can look at the striker, take a step back to play him offside. So I think the VAR thing with the lines on the pitch, it takes out all of the skill. You know, mm. the, the, the players just don't have that ability to like micro sort of not micromanage, but just have that microscopic view of everywhere their body is in relation to another player on the off chance that he might be caught offside. Mike Riley even said decisions like that. He literally said toenail decisions will not be given this season. And that's exactly what Richarlison's yes. was. The second one, especially again, yeah, yeah. again, the first one, okay. Even though I still, in spirit, kind of disagree with the generality yeah, of the rule. Can, can that second one was what we were supposed to be getting rid of this season, yeah. isn't it? Exactly, and it, you know, it, it just it, it exacerbates the problem we've been having with VAR all season in the fact that those two goals were deemed worthy of a VAR check, yet Rondon getting the share torn off off at Brentford wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I mean oh. I, don't know, I don't know what the logic is behind that. Then you've got the 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 spares penalty as well, whereby that went to a VAR check and that was seen as an obvious decision, obvious mistake by the referee, which it clearly wasn't. I just don't know where they're going with this or what they're trying to do, 
other than it just looks like cheating them. It just looks like if they if they don't like the look of a decision, they can just go, tell you what, just call it off. And you can chalk it off. Mm-hmm. Or if they do like the look of a decision, you just don't look at it. It's yeah, it's it, it's shite basically. You still haven't they still aren't using it correctly. You still yeah. haven't got it right. I don't really think they ever will, especially not yeah. with Mike Riley at the head of the referees. He was a terrible referee anyway. Mike Riley. So the fact oh, I, I, re- I remember. Yeah, the fact <laughs> that he heads up the whole organisation now says it all. Anyway, back to the toffees though. Um, before Damari Gray's goal, Richarlison's header for that equaliser was absolutely stunning. Oh. The, the skill on that, Les, yes. you, I want you to, to do this uh, because I, I I see it and I'm watching it and I'm I'm blown away by it on some level. But for for those of us listening, for those listening to this who are not uh, who are like me, who uh, played football as a five year old for about 10 minutes and then that was about it and then became a fan later. Someone who's been in the game has coached the game. I mean, I think that because there's something about just this kind of floating, looping header finding its way in, that's not. I think sometimes we assign difficulty to to the missiles. You know what I mean? To the shots that are just like you know missiles. Um, Whereas I don't think people understand just how what what level of skill was required to pull off this shot tell tell me tell tell me how difficult that that header was from from Richarlison because i thought it was incredibly impressive yeah because when you when you saw the basics in football you're always taught as a striker to get over the ball and head it down and that, that's all you ever taught really you never taught those situations where the ball spins up in the air and you've got to improvise it was essentially a headed version of an overhead kick it's not something you ever really taught it's mm. something you just got to improvise as the play dictates but that ball, I mean, that was a great save as well. It was a great shot from Damari Gray. It was a great save from Ramsdale, who just got a fingertip on it, which then spun the ball onto the bar, which then spun up in the air. So you can't get any power on it. So really, he, the way he jumped and arched his back and just, I don't know, he just sort of got some sort of loop on the Is it head. a volley? Is it almost like a head volley? Yeah, it was. It was I don't even know how to describe it. The, te- the technique was outrageous. And it's yeah. it doesn't look that impressive on, like, just seeing it, he's just looped the header in. But when you think of all the factors that have gone to get the ball into that position, and he's taken the decision to just head it the way he did, instead of maybe taking it down or you know trying to take a touch and getting a shot off, he's just gone straight for the header and it's looped in. It was brilliant. It reminded me of, do you remember the Yelovich header? That old chapter, oh, it was a yes. bit like that, just cushioned and looped in. Uh, yeah. I think it was better than that one, just because of the you know oh, the spin do. on the ball, the speed that came back off the bar. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he showed in that game exactly why everyone loves him, and yeah. why you, you know if he does have a game where he sucks, you can't write him off because he's probably more frustrated with himself that he can't have the impact on the game. I think that's his big issue when he has when he has ineffective games and he looks like he's sulking. It's because he can't have the impact that he wants to have on that game. Maybe it's with yeah. his teammates as well that they're not because you can understand that you know if you're he's bordering on elite level player now. He's gonna yeah. be an elite oh. level player. He's gonna get there. So when you're seeing your teammates not quite up to that standard, that's gonna you know it, it's gonna make you a bit a bit mardy with them, isn't it? Yeah, I I think sometimes the 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 discussion around Richarlison is like there's two different discussions that go on about him, um, at least in terms of two audiences. There's there's the 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 the, the discussion that happens amongst Evertonians about 
Richarlison. And then there is the discussion that happens about Richarlison outside of our bubble that is largely, I think, full of largely uninformed uninformed uh, speculation and opinions. And I mean, we're guilty of doing some of this too. I, I've always been very critical of the, um, you know, taking the look on a guy's face and inferring a bunch of deep meaning behind it, or that um, because a player looks frustrated that they're not trying, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be wrong. I'm sure that there have been times where uh, he's dipped a little bit in terms of maybe being engaged, though, given the service he's had in his time at Everton overall. I I don't think he's, A, the only one who's guilty of that, and, B, I think it's somewhat understandable. But this, this concept of him being an elite player is this – I think sometimes becomes an overly simplistic discussion of, well, when we're when Richarlison eventually gets rid of all of these rough edges, like guys, I, I don't think that that's ever going to be who he is. No. I think Richarlison is, is going to be one of those guys who yes, can improve and will improve in some ways, especially once he goes to a better side that has more weapons around him, he will flourish. He'll be great. But 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 Richarlison as a player is kind of baked in at this point. And you know what? I I don't really mind the version of Richarlison we have now. Yes, I want more goals, but I also would sort of say that you'll get more goals from Richarlison when he when when other players around him are like it's so easy. It's so easy for the defense to focus on him when Everton has nothing else to really threaten yeah. a lot of the time. Um, I think Damari Gray helps that. I think that Monday night should have been a hat trick game that it was talked about as one of the best games of any by any player all season in the Premier League. Like that's yeah. how. And by the way, I, I would throw out there now that when Richarlison eventually goes, this is one of his signature games at Everton that we're all going to talk about. We're all going to remember because yeah. in some ways it was even more impressive because of his mental response to having two goals somewhat criminally, at least that's how he felt taken away from him in in a crucial game and an important, uh, and an important moment in the season for a struggling side flirting with the I mean, add all the context you want. It makes it even more impressive, but I, I think that Richarlison is a player who, who's who's kind of innate rage anger uh, and I don't even mean that in a derogatory way I, I just think some players have to have that chip on their shoulder and that edge mm-hmm. they have to feel like it's them against the world out there they have to get into physical confrontations they probably talk a lot of trash out there. like that's Richarlison. And you know what? Everyone who's been trying to get him to, you know, it's, and I say this in the most loving way possible. There's this thing that a lot of, <laughs> a lot of like old school white fans of the sport do with players of color who have attitude and have, you know, have personality and have um, a little bit of angst to their game. And they're trying to tell them, you need to be more like, like, I think everyone wants a player like that to be more like Phil Jagielka or something. I don't know. I don't know what they want, but my point is, is that I think Richarlison, if you take away too much of that, 
And he's got to find a balance. And don't get me wrong. He is open to criticism and he certainly can improve his temperament in some ways. But you can't take too much of the edge away from Richarlison because then I think you fundamentally change what makes him special. The instinctual stuff, the, 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 mo- the, the moments of transcendence that he can provide in those big moments, the way he can drag a team uh, you know, with him like he did yeah. the other night. Well, this is, this is where, from his own career point of view, he needs to consider his next move really carefully right? Um, because he needs to be, if not the focal point of the team, the next best thing. So if you look, if you look historically, I'm going to use the example of Maradona. Okay. Massive in Argentina, went to Barcelona, didn't really quite work out for him there. Went to Napoli, played the best football of his life and dragged a pretty average team that hadn't won a trophy for decades, I think, mm. to the title in Italy. And you're talking about some top-notch teams in Italy at the time, like AC Milan um, in the late 80s. So he he was the, like Richarlison, who was a player who's got to have, he's got to be made angry when he's playing to, to get the best out of him. He's got to have his back against the wall. He's got to feel like it's him and his team against everyone else. I think yeah. Maradona had, I'm not, you know, I'm not comparing him directly to Maradona. No, 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 but that's <laughs> okay. We'll we'll just that an analogy here that more people yeah. understand. I like it. But I think in the in the temperament way of things, it, it's very similar to that. So if he does get a big move next, he's really got to consider where he goes because if he goes into a team where he's just another cog, you can use Wayne Rooney as a similar example as well. He was, I mean, he won everything and he was still a great player, but I think it's pretty accepted amongst Evertonians anyway that he probably never became the player that he could have been because that mm. fire was taken out of him a bit when he went to Man United. He became just a part of something much bigger than him. Um, So I think for Richarlison, it's a good point that he does sort of need that feeling in games. And if you do move to a team that's more successful, you're less likely to get that feeling Hmm. because you're probably going to be rolling teams over. So it's it's a tricky one for him personally, what he does next. Hopefully they'll stay with us forever. But, you know, (laughs) not going to kid ourselves that that'll happen. But it's just, he's a very complex character, isn't he? Well, I, what's funny, I think you make a really interesting point I hadn't thought about because there's, I sometimes think that one of the ways that you get a clue about where a player's going to end up is you look at the heavy speculation from a move that never ended up happening the summer before, because then at least you have some idea that, okay, some conversations have happened. Now, I, I don't know how much this applies in this case, because if you'd asked me, um, you know, about next season, I'd say, well, there's a decent chance he ends up at PSG, right? Yeah. Uh, because of the speculation. But now that it's sort of up in the air about, um, you know, you know, who's staying and who's going, um, you know, you've got that, you've got everything, you know, you've got the the health and fitness of Neymar that plays into that equation a little bit. I think, I wonder if the relationship with Neymar is part of what fueled some of that desire to potentially go there. But I, I think you're right. Like I, I think that there is a move out there to him for him to a better side than us that is not so star laden that he gets lost in the mix because he he his ego is such and by the way this is true of a lot of the great great scores in the history of this sport but his ego is such that he judges his success on the pitch by his ability to contribute in the scoring column and um, even though he tracks back like no other forward in the league, even though he is is just about as as max effort in general in terms of the physical side of the game and 
Um, I wish he was, I, I still think he can improve as a passer, even though I've started, we've started to see some really, you know, some really nice, uh, some really nice work there, but he still, he still turns the ball over a bit. I mean, he's not a finished product. I don't know that anyone ever fully is a finished product on some level, but I think you're right. Like, I think he goes somewhere where he is still one of the, like you said, top two focal points. Now I will say this as much as I have thought for the, like, I don't know about you, Les, I've thought for the last two seasons maybe that Richarlison was going to be gone and yet he's here. And so I want to sort of put the brakes on the whole, he's definitely gone next summer thing because a, I think there's just so much that can happen between now and then. And B I think that now finally the, the Calvert Lewin portion of this equation is coming into play, meaning that, I absolutely can see the club potentially parting with one of these two, mm-hmm. but both in one summer. I mean, that's, that would be, it could happen. It could happen, but man, you would have to have a lot of faith, uh, which I don't in this hire <laughs> that money correctly, because it would be a significant amount of money. Yeah. I do think Luca Dean's gone. I do think that, um, I don't know yeah, about Yuri. I don't know about Yuri Mina. Yeah, I was going to say I don't know about Yuri Mina because he's not. It's, it's weird because in some ways these injuries are actually maybe keeping him here for the last year of his contract more yeah. than it is than it is you know expediting a sale. So I don't know about that, but I think Everton have some assets that they are going to part with as part of this idea of restructuring the whole thing, but. I do, I'm just trying to imagine them selling both Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison in, in the same summer, and that just feels dangerous to me. I, I don't know. About yeah, that, that would be slightly suicidal, I think. Yeah. Um, just because you're leaving yourself with no striker then, other than Rondon, which we have done in the past, to be fair, when we sold... Yeah. Uh, oh, what was the name of that we sold to Leicester? Scored that worldie against Chelsea on the last game of the season. That we sold to Leicester? Not, not if you think of Marcus Bent, it wasn't Marcus Bent anyway? Oh, gosh, yeah. This is you're asking the wrong, you're asking the wrong, yeah. Guy. No, it sucks. But uh, that what, what's funny is that I will remember Monday forever because there's some games like I always joke on this this show was that Mike Diasha, one of my one of my very closest friends in the Blue Room universe, has this steel trap memory for every game, <laughs> and, and I don't, uh, but the ones I remember are usually significant. Uh, let me know if you find it, Les. But, yeah, well, oh, Jermaine, Jermaine Beckford, that was the one. Oh, God, yeah. We sold him to, I think we sold him to Leicester, and then... Forget about Jermaine And we just didn't have a striker for about two seasons, so we stuck yeah. with Fellaini and Cahill, so, you know, it, it, there is precedent there for Everton doing something stupid like that, and getting rid yeah. of any recognised striker, but I I think that will be a bit of a step too far for the club. Yeah. Just too much of a risk. But yeah, as you say, I think I think one one probably will go. Unfortunately, which would be a shame yeah. because they work really well together. And for the last two seasons, we've not really seen the best of them both together, have we? Um, right. Yeri Mina, I think Benitez saying he's injury prone has probably not got ten million off his value anyway. So that was a stupid yeah. thing to say. But yeah, I can yeah. see. I can see him. Well, it's obvious for everyone to see too. I mean, it is yeah, but I think when the manager comes out and says it, it just adds that little sort of thing that the the buying club can go well. I'll take an injury prone player off your hands, which is a shame because that defense is infinitely better. Oh, 
without no, us. it's it's the ultimate. It's so Everton that that you you know they they had the right idea. Mm-hmm. They go out and bought this player who, yes, you can say was this World Cup famous. You know, you know, had the bounce or whatever, but they were buying a young, big, physically imposing um, guy with all these leadership qualities. He had a little bit of – he obviously had, you know, some stop and start because of injuries to start. Then he, at one point, got into a nice little run of form where he was healthy for a good solid six, seven months. And then and then it, and then it just – it's just like it started all over again this season. And I um, – you know, I don't want to get into a whole year. I mean, I think we all know. He's a really good player. But I said this on Twitter yesterday, and believe me, I never thought I'd say this. He is not. I was shocked when I read it, to be honest. <laughs> well, I, but that's the thing is, I'm not. I, I think people need to understand. You can love a player, but you yeah. can acknowledge reality. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, just like some of the people who I I spar with, they can love a player all they want, but he shouldn't be the starting right back at the club anymore in 2021. <laughs> but my point is that. Um, by the way, Coleman was great. Yeah, was great on Monday night. Uh, he had a crucial block that that. Oh, right before yeah. our, our winner that was huge. Anyway, um, that's for you, Laura. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a joke about our friend Laura Gates. She knows what I'm talking about. Um, but 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 Yerry Mina knew the deal, and that's the thing about when you talk about a player and injuries. You know, you're not really talking about the failure that a, of a player in terms of it's not an effort thing. It's not even a talent thing or a skill thing. It's not about a lack of desire. Um, I think that every time he goes out there, you can tell that that guy gives a shit. That guy is a nightmare for whatever attacking player he's up against. I love all those things, but going into this season, I I put my hand up and said, I agreed with Matt Jones. We talked about this. He has to probably play between 20 – I said low-end 28. Matt was saying about 30 30 league games in order to prove that he could stay fit. He hasn't done it. It's. I think he has been completely mishandled by the meat grinder aspect of this entire sport, by the way, which says that, hey, we're going to have you play nonstop all summer for Columbia. Then after Copa America is over – you're going to start the season, uh, get a delayed start to the season, and then have to go back again for a triple header, three games, three starts, 90-plus minutes. I think they went to extra time in one of those games. Yeah. I mean, the Columbia killed him, Les, and, mm-hmm. and yet and he comes back, and it's like a lot of soft tissue injuries. You strain a hamstring or a quad, you recover that, and then – I mean, you see this in a lot of sports. The next thing that happens is a calf injury or a quad or, you know, like anything in that same leg, something usually happens because you're overcompensating, you're doing, you know, you've been working one set of muscles out to try and get it better. It's, it just, it sucks because he's had bad luck and it is what it is, but Everton are going to have to figure out the back line. And, and, And I think going back to the game and I'd love your thoughts on this you know, I thought Michael Keane was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think he's also been very bad at points this season. I have not liked the way he looks like he's given up on a few goals this season. Yeah. But he was good. I think the scary thing, though, looking ahead to Palace and beyond, is that we're staring Mason Holgate and Michael Keane as your starting center halves in the face for a while because 
I think that Ben Godfrey pretty much has to stay at, at left back, doesn't he? Well, I mean, I don't you put you put you didn't can't put Holgate out there, and I just am not. I hope Dean is back, but I'm not convinced that this gets resolved overnight. This is, this is the thing I think people have gone really overboard on with Luca Dean. Now Benitez may not fancy him; they may have fallen out. But you can't really criticize Benitez because Everton won, and Ben Godfrey played really well. So. It's tough to criticise Benitez for doing that because as a manager, you've got to make those tough calls and it doesn't matter who the player is. If they're out of form, which Luca Dean has been, regardless of whether the manager said, you've got to stay back more, you're not, you know, you're not allowed to go up the pitch as much as you like to cross the ball. You're a left-back. Your first priority is to defend. So if a manager asks you to defend, you've just got to get on with it. And if you can't yeah. do it or you're not good enough at doing that, well, then the manager's got to take a look at you and go, well, do you know what? you're not fit for the purpose I need you to be in the team for right now. Now, had he put Ben Godfrey in and we've been beaten, well, then you could look at it and go, well, right. it was a stupid thing to, you know, we lost all that attacking edge down that side. But the fact is we won and Ben Godfrey played yeah. well. So you can't really criticise the manager for that just because you like the player. And I like Luca Dean. I think he's I a too. left back. He's just been, he, he has been out of form for a while now. He's been up and down. But he is a quality left back, and I'd sooner see him in the team than not. But by the same token, if the manager makes that decision, that's his job. He's there to make those tough calls. And some managers in the past would have left Luca Dean in purely because he's a captain. He's or oh, James Coleman or him. He's, well, star, yeah. he's one of the star players. He's probably you know a pretty big fish at Finch Farm because he's come from Barcelona, PSG. He's a bit of a star player. He's a French he's international. Good. Yeah, it's, yeah. It takes a lot for a manager to, to drop a player like that. But if that's yeah. what he sees fit, that's what this this that's what this club has needed for a long time for a manager who's single minded enough to do that. The flip side of it, of course, is that you get fallings out then, and that's not good for the team. So if this right. is allowed to fester, it could have a negative impact on impact on the team long run. It could end up with Luca Dean walking. It could end up with him going for you know less than we would ideally get from if he was playing well and in the team. Yeah. It could have valuation off him. So there's a lot of moving parts in this whole situation. But I think until Ben Godfrey absolutely stinks the gaff out at left back, he can't be criticised for playing there because he's offering defensive solidity that the team needs at the minute that Luca Dean wasn't. Plus, right. Luca Dean gives away a lot of stupid fouls. In and around the box, yes. that's a massive criticism of him. Um, so when the team's on the back foot, you, as a manager, you will need a player you, you can rely on defensively. Which at this moment, Ben Godfrey is. It might change for Palace. It might be water under the bridge, but I think there's been a bit of an overreaction because people are really quick and want to criticise Benitez. They well, want to everyone wants to take sides because they, they 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 just want to immediately go to a side when yeah. it's more nuanced than that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, it, everything's seen as black and white. You've got to pick a team and that, and stick in that lane. When it's, it's not really like that, I like Luca Dean. I don't particularly like Benitez, but yeah. he's the Everton manager and I want him to do well because of that. I, yeah. you know, ideally, I want Luca Dean to do well as well. But, you know, if it if it's a head to head in the two and the team performing better without a certain player, that's the way it's got to be. And, you know, yeah. and a manager has got to make those tough decisions and it's good that he's doing that. Well, and, and I mean, there's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of thing, right? I mean, I don't yeah. know how many times over the years we have all lamented that these players get away with murder and when is a manager going to be strong in cases like this or send a message? And then when one does, it's 
you know, again, I guess it always depends on how you feel about the manager, right? But yeah. look, I, I'm a big fan of the many things can be true all at once, <laughs> a way of approaching these sorts of things. Because I think, Les, you and I are probably on about the same page. I like Luca Dean. I really like Luca Dean because since he came to Everton, he has been one of the most consistent performers and producers. And when I say producers, yeah. meaning not just the eyeball test, but he has put up lots of assists. He has put up, uh, he has scored goals. He's done the things that he was advertised to be bringing to Everton and more. I mean, really, yeah. we thought we were just kind of getting like a nice above average left back that would be perfectly fine and was good value for the money. Turned out to be great value for the money. Um, but what's also true is that he can say all he wants about um, Benitez's system, which I agree, Benitez does not seem to favor, at least from what I can tell. And Les, I'll, I'll defer to you on the kind of the managerial, formational, tactical part of this. But he does not seem to employ a system that employs the, quote, modern fullback approach of having guys bombing down the wings. You know, mm -hmm. he wants guys that are a little more defensively responsible. And I think you can also acknowledge that it's not so much about Luca Dean being poor as much as it is that this system does not play to the, he was acquired with one idea. And in fact, it was several ideas ago. Yeah. Um, and the player he is and the skill set he has does not lend itself well to what Benitez is ultimately trying to accomplish. Luca Dean's never been like a rock solid defender. He's always just been at, at his best, just kind of, he'd have a, good, decent game here or there, but his value was in attack. If if you can't, but, but we haven't even been getting the attack part. And you can say that that's Benitez's fault. You can say that that's Luca Dean's fault for not performing and not, you know, I mean, I think you can argue very uh, in a very valid manner that his crosses, his set piece deliveries, they've been bad for a while. Yes. And this goes back to, you know, last season too. So, I think that both the player and the manager share some portion of the quote blame, if you want to call it that. But I do think that one, if Luca Dean blew up at the manager and they weren't all on the same page going into what was an incredibly important game. And this was what the manager decided to do. Um, you're right. He's so somewhat validated by the outcome, isn't he? I mean, we yeah. won the game. If we hadn't won the game. There'd be a much more uproar of this. Secondly, though, I would say that Luca Dean, I liked, I don't know if you saw his Instagram story this morning. Yeah. He basically said, you know, of course, it's the very classic, and I, and I feel for Patty, because Patty wrote a really well-sourced, thoughtful piece. And the reason that I love, you know, what, what Patty and Greg do sometimes is that they actually seem to take the, the reporting side of being a reporter, which means that they actually have to go and make calls yeah. and and not just wait for a club brief and then write a story and say that that's reporting. They go out and actually ask questions and they do these things the right way. And I give them a lot of credit for that. Um, but you have the classic Luca Dean saying, don't believe everything you read. But he basically kind of said that this is football. The manager made a decision. I wanted to play. This is how it goes. But he, he didn't, he didn't sound like I want to leave Everton. I, yeah. you know, he, he was very, you know, he loves – I think Luca Dean gen, genuinely, um, while playing at Everton sometimes has not always been super fun, which, let's be honest, that hadn't been for <laughs> all of us either. Um, I think, in general, Luca Dean has been a model professional at the club. So, 
Yeah. My hope is that this the outcome of this is that we had this. The message was sent by the manager. The player t- took it like a man. Was out for the game. He's back for Palace this weekend. Um, I don't know if that means he starts, but maybe back in the squad and then back to his starting. Like, I just think the worst thing that can happen is that this is a pro. I worry and I suspect, though I hope I'm wrong, I'm worried that this will be prolonged because, A, we have a really, really dense, thick schedule coming up. Mm-hmm. And, B, you made the point earlier, Les, that I think is really key. Let's say that you've decided to move on from Luca Dean. The worst thing you can do is just crater his value in the market yeah. by – him not only having come off a bad run of games, but then just not playing him at all. Uh, no one's going to pay what you think he's worth at that point. And so I think Everton have got to find a way to, and, and I think it's good for Luca Dean too, who who's going to want a good contract at whatever the next place is for him. Uh, he's, he has incentive to get back into things and play well. Mm-hmm. I think Everton are incentivized to have Luca Dean come back and play well for what he can offer on the pitch and what he can do for his value. So yeah. I hope that this does get resolved. I've just got one final theory on the Luca Dean situation, and it, it could be the fact that when you, if you want to play attacking fullbacks, you've got to have two centre backs who you completely trust and you know you can rely on. And at the minute, oh, Evan don't, don't have that. Um, so if you think back to when it was Baines and Coleman at the best, it was Jaggy Elkin and Distan at the back, or Jaggy Elka, John Stones. It was two centre halves who the manager knew he could rely on. Croke turns from John Stones aside. He was a very reliable centre-half alongside Phil Jagielka. At the yeah. minute, the team hasn't got two centre-backs playing together who it knows are completely solid and can yeah. do the covering job if the full-back bomb's on as well. So it could be down to that. You know, it, it's like if you look if you look at um, Liverpool as well, Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, they bomb forward because they know they have got two centre-backs who can do the job for them. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think Andy Robertson is half the player he is without Van Dyke next to him. I just don't think yeah. he is. And he's not half the player he thinks he is. Uh, well, he's not. He clearly <laughs> yeah. isn't. But you know, it's it's the same token, isn't it? If you've got Luca Dean who wants to bomb forward, and you're thinking, well, Michael Keane or Mason Holgate are next to him, it's a bit yeah. like, can you really trust either of them? And it just takes me mind. It, it, I keep having these flashbacks to that Watford game, the final fifteen minutes, and just the way the whole defense disintegrated. And people were just chasing the ball. And there's that one shot, I think, of, uh, was it the fourth goal? Can't remember. But it's the one where Josh King just gets the ball played into the middle of the park and he's on his own because Michael Keane mm-hmm. ran over to the left-back position to cover it. It's things like that. That's going to get in the manager's head. And you just think, and Carlo Ancelotti yeah. did it last season out of necessity because Luca Dean was injured. But he played right. four centre-backs across the back. And that was the best defensively we were all season long. Yeah, I and mean. that was that was you know that was because we needed defensive solidity. Yeah, and that's the thing you've got to build on. So you know, there's, there's going to be a load of factors that, yeah. that have, 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 have come to this has come to a head over yeah. a few factors. But you know, we don't know what's going on. But hopefully, it won't be something that's personal and festers yeah. on for a while. Well, and yeah, I, I'm I, I'm pretty on the record about the fact that I don't. And believe me, I I loved the result on Monday, but it's hard to look anyone in the face, you know, anyone in the in the eye and have a straight face and say you really firmly believe that Benitez is a long term answer here. So you know, there's that caveat to things. But to your earlier point, I think though that if if you're going to appoint a manager, and we've all been crying out for. 
a, a manager with a firm hand. And sometimes that means that, that they're going, that, that things like this are going to happen. Um, I think that the, the days of, of us being cool with letting players quote, get away with murder. The, I mean, we, we, we feel like those are over, but it, it always does seem like we correct, right? We go from taskmaster manager to warm and fuzzy manager to the opposite. We, we always yeah. swing back and forth because we think we've got to correct. And, and Benitez, look, I think everyone's sort of new coming in. He is um, um, oddly that well, but you know that's weird because there are some of the players, especially when we were successful earlier on this season, who said, you know, I like him because he doesn't spend time telling me what I'm good at. He tells me what I'm not good at, and what I can improve upon. And generally speaking, you know, like guys like Richarlison seem to really respect him. You know, Damari Gray obviously seems to as well, and Townsend and guys he brought in, but. The thing with Benitez, though, is that I can sit here and try to analyze all his his particular managerial approaches, his formations, uh, which I want to go on to talk about here in a second as we look towards Palace, um, you know, all those things. But this is a bottom line business. He didn't win a game for two months. We just won on Monday. I kind of I, look Palace. That's that's the most dangerous Palace side that 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 that, that we've faced in a while. I, I there's a lot of their players I'd love to have at Everton, by the yeah. way. Um, but you know, at the same time, I sort of expect us to go down there and at least get a point. I, I, I'm I think that that right now Benitez, uh, the more he tries to make. You know, he can make an example out of Luca Dean as a one-off, but I will say this until his record markedly improves, mm. he's not going to have a lot of latitude to keep doing this. So that's why I'm sort of hopeful that cooler heads will prevail in the Luca Dean situation. And, and we're going to have, uh, we're going to have a, a decent outcome to all this. Yeah. Les, um, this weekend, so we've got palace, uh, we're away at palace. Um, I mean, can we win two games in a row? I, I don't know, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you the the most burning question that I think we all have. After Monday, does Rafa Benitez look at what happened Monday and say, "I'm going to start three players in central midfield"? Les Roberts, go. See, that's the tricky thing, isn't it? I think he should. I'm not convinced he will, though. Um, I'm not either, and it makes me crazy. He's so stubborn. Yeah, because he he doesn't. I think when we did that spaces the other night, we were sort of saying maybe he's learned his lesson over a few things. Um, because, you know, Awobi's essentially been bombed out of the team. He's, he looks like he's going to be a sub at most. Now, probably shouldn't even get that after his miss on Monday, but we'll not go on that. We'll not go on that. Yeah. Time. I mean, Awobi um, sort of is what Awobi is at this point. Yeah, but, but yeah I, I'm not convinced that he, he seems like the sort of manager who he's got a way that he wants to play and he will implement that way of playing. He'll impose that on the players until they get it right, as opposed to change things. So if you look at a manager like Ranieri, he'll mix things up. He'll make changes where he needs to. He'll do whatever he needs. He probably takes games at a time, basically. And this is something you need to do when you're not as good a side. So basically, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, they can just play their way in every game. Apart from maybe against each other, weirdly, but they can play their way in every game. Anyone below that, you've really got to sort of set your stall out to sort of negate them first and then play right because of the talent discrepancies or because of what yeah. you have at your disposal like city and you know like city can 
employ any style they want whenever they want because they have players, you know, specialty players who can do everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. But but when it comes to a game like Everton Palace, who well, there's two points between us now. Somehow we're two points ahead of them. Uh, yeah, which seems amazing. It but, was yeah. crazy how much that win has elevated us because we were basically relegation fodder until Monday night. We still are effectively, yeah. but it's just it's just mad to look at the table now. Um, yeah, we're above Southampton, Leeds, Palace, Brentford have had a decent start. We're point behind Leicester, point behind Villa, who've just had a resurgence. Yeah, it's mad. The, the, the table is so like is so tight there. But yeah, when you're playing a team like Palace, I think we need to play for our to our strengths. And at the minute, that is playing three in midfield. But mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that you will. So if you, I mean, if we're going to play Andre Gomez, you've got to play a three. Well, and, okay. So that that's my question. Um, because oftentimes the the answer or the response to what I refer to as formational rigidity <laughs> of of a manager who's like, look, this is my formation and I will die playing this no matter what. But oftentimes they're forced into a rethink because mm. of the personnel. Uh, sometimes you just, as I, I forget who said it, but you know, central midfield is one of the places where ironically we just don't have, we don't have injury issues right now. Everyone, <laughs> even the bombing is available. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird, but it just feels like um, it, I, I wonder if he can continue to live off of the reputation as a very logical and pragmatic manager. If, if he can look at the last two months and honestly say that his, that this two man midfield approach has worked. Now I will grant you the decor being out during that time is a mitigating factor in all this. Um, but they just it, it just it, something seemed to really click on Monday. And again, I it's a smaller sample size, but I would really like to see uh Allen in front of the back four. Mm-hmm. And I get, you know, again, who knows? With Gomez, we could get a world class you know, a world class bordering performance. Or we could get, uh, you know, insert your own jokes about, I think, Malbec, uh, I've heard a few times. Malbec legs. Legs. So, uh, <laughs> um, um, oh, God, I forget who it was. Uh, one of one of my my Twitter buddies said something about uh, Monday night was scientific proof that long-haired Andre Gomez is oh, yeah. <laughs> Andre Gomez, he's probably, he's probably right. Um, so... But but that's my question to you, Les, is does what Andre Gomez did and what he did on Monday was not anything you can ignore. He was and it wasn't just that goal. He was good from the yeah. moment he came on. Really he awesome. looked like he looked like a breath of fresh air out there. And again, ironically, much like uh, Yeri Mina, I think he may have even been on a longer prolonged absence. So Part of me thinks that, A, you look at Andre Gomez doing that and you think you got a three-man midfield, start Gomez. The other part of me is thinking, though, that because he's just coming back, that he's got to probably be a bench option because of fitness concerns, uh, which, ironically, if Luca Dean had been available, do you then put Yerry Mina back into the firing line starting – uh, as soon as, even though he's been off for you know seven seven games, and and clearly what I mean, just I, I just think that was a mistake, but it happens with Andre Gomez. You wouldn't have started him for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. 
does does that still I imagine that probably still comes into play Saturday. So I'm kind of like you. I think he probably starts with two men, you know, Allen and Decore. He might go. He might even go unchanged. Frankly, um, obviously, with Holgate replacing Mina, and then bring on Gomez again late. But it feels like you're just setting yourself up for playing from behind again, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there is Delph option. I think. Is yeah. He or is he is he fit? Is he ever fit? If Delph, if Delph, that also sounds like a philosophical question you're yeah. asking. What is Delph? Where is Delph? How is Delph? I, I don't know, Les. That's a that's an incredible well, I think, question. I, I think, think, I think Delph, was Delph available on Monday? Do we remember? Was he in the squad? I don't think he was oh, for man. some reason. But if he is available, yeah, I mean, that's obvious one. A lot of us have been saying this this season since he came on against Spurs and did really well. Um, it's like, well, if he's available, we've got to play him, which I don't think any of us ever predicted that we'd be saying about Fabian Delph. But I think yeah. if he is available, he starts in the three for me. Um, give him an hour, then bring Gomez on, see what happens. Yeah. Um, the thing with Palace is they're a very fast attacking team. They've got a lot mm. of attacking talent. They've got that Gallagher kid in the middle as well. Yeah. Who, he looks like he's going to be some player. He's going to Chelsea's, isn't he? Um, yeah. So he looks like he's going to be some player. And he's... He's someone who, if not needs man marking, someone needs to keep an eye on him in and around the box because he's that type of player who just pops up from midfield and can finish. So he could be a big issue. And if you've got, you know, if you've got the core bombing up the pitch and then they break quickly, suddenly we can be outnumbered. Um, so yeah. I, I think if Benitez is a pragmatic manager, he will look at the midfield, see that it's plays better with a three with the personnel he's got. Next season, he can do what he likes when he signs his, his own players to play his right. formation. But as a manager, you've got to, you know, use the cards you've been dealt. He's not been dealt a particularly good pack. It's not the worst, but make the best out of it. And I think playing the the, the 4 2 3 one doesn't get the best out of this group. Um, 4 2 3 one Les. Is, it, is there ever been a club that was more I mean, attached to 4 2 3 one than us? Well, that's I want to be my formation that I play. <laughs> Didn't well. I know, I'm not saying it's no. There's nothing inherently wrong with a four-two-three-one. You just have to have the personnel to play. It's like any formation, right? Yeah. But like, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Marco Silva come in as a four-three-three guy and then just somehow never played it? Yeah, yeah. He did. He was four-three-three all the way and then played four-two-three-one. It's like this contractual obligation when you sign yeah. for him. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's another one of those games. Palace away, isn't it? It's a bit of a towing cost. Toin cost. There we go. I was wondering, There's like, we're close to the end of the of this episode, and I had no idea what we we're going to name it. Now I know we're going to name it Toin cost. So yes, yeah. it is a coin toss. It, it, it is a bit of a coin toss, though. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's a Sunday game as well. Is it two o'clock on Sunday? Is it a Sunday game? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's two o'clock in the afternoon, which is just <sighs> way to kick off time. two o'clock. Okay. Eight, eight, oh, it's half four. Half four on Sunday. I for some reason thought it was Saturday. I'm glad it's not. We need the extra. It's always good to have that extra day after a Monday game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a oh yeah. Nice, nice 10:30. That's a nice brunch game for me on Sunday. I can certainly handle that, Les. All right, Les. Uh, this has been great football chat. I want to end. Uh, we're right at about the hour, and I told you I'd try to stick as close to this end time for you as possible because I know you've got a life to go live and all of that, but Really quick, I am just so you know, I am working on I'm finalizing my year end albums list. I have to do this every year. 
Um, though, admit, you know, I have to do it for work um, for the station, for the radio station that I do a Saturday night show for. Uh, yeah. We do we, all the all the hosts submit their best of uh, lists every year to to the station, and they do a big like series of um, webs. You know, they put put them all on the website and stuff like that. So, um, though, admittedly, I'm the kind of nerdy kid that was doing my own year end list before anyone was even asking for them because I just like. <laughs> I love rank, list making is a sport and I love ranking things. It's, it's just the best. Um, especially when you rank art, which is silly to rank art. And yet, you, yet people do it all the time. Um, yeah. So this Saturday night, uh, shameless plug for my uh, show turn of the century, which I will be of course, uploading on the mixed cloud. And if you ever want to go back and listen to these episodes, you just need like an hour. Of, let, let's get a test to this. I put on, I put some pretty good music on there every Saturday night. Yeah, I love it. It's essential listening. There you go. There you go. And and Les is not being paid for shilling for me <laughs> right now, but I'm doing a special episode. This is my last episode of 2021 uh, before our big Christmas break. The whole station changes over to holiday music. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing over there, but they certainly hammered into the ground here. Yeah, it's called Bomberman this- over here. Yeah, I'm doing a special episode on my favorite albums of 2021. So I'm playing like I think I just fit in the hour. I took my, my 12 favorite albums and picked a song from each. I'm not going to go through all 12, but I did want to highlight, and I, I don't know that I've totally ranked them yet. I'm still kind of sorting that out right now. This isn't the laminated version. Yeah, until I've laminated it, yeah. it's not final. And, and look, this is all very scientific. There's a very strategic process that goes into this. Uh, I imagine I'm much like you know Marco Silva was in, in overthinking everything to the point of ruining it, but I I, I, I love this. So I'm gonna give you my I'm going to give you my uh top four uh I'm gonna give you my top five albums of the year because I think I've got my top five-ish pretty set um Les one, number and again, these are not in any order at this point, so whatever. But I'm just going to say this group of five. One is an album by this band that I had not heard of until somewhat recently, and this is one of my favorite things about 2021 or about any new music year is that sometimes you just find a band that comes out of nowhere and just blows you away with an album. This band called Magdalena Bay, uh, and I will send these all to you because Les, I think you're going to like all of these albums, or at least four of the five of yeah. these albums for sure. Uh, Magdalena Bay. It is, and the album is called Mercurial World, and it is a mixture of sounds that everything from like electronica, synth, and, you know, new wave and video game sounds. I don't even know how to really describe it. I'm a big fan of bands who you can't really fully describe the genre because it's a mix of all these things. But I will tell you the feeling I got listening to it was uh, very similar to the feeling that I got listening uh, the first heard in 83. Um, if anyone remembers, I guess it was, oh gosh, was it 2013? I think, uh, you know, like when Midnight City came out and all of that. Um, Hurry Up, We're Dreaming came out. Uh, it was 2011. And I remember hearing that and thinking, I've never heard anything that made me, that sounded quite like this before and made me feel this way before. That is how uh, Mercurial World by Magdalena Bay sounds. And it is just absolutely addictive like pop sugary amazingness yet it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel cheap and it doesn't feel shallow it just feel it's like pure joy just listening to this album so highly recommend that next one is and this is probably on my all names album of the year 
Dream Weapon by Genghis Tron. Now that is <laughs> so many talking points there. Genghis Tron is the name of the band. Dream Weapon is the name of the album. And it, absolutely the most beautiful album cover of the year for me. And Dream Weapon is, I think, a reference to um, is a reference to an album by Spaceman Three, who ended up one one half of them ended up going on to form Spiritualized. For those of you of the English persuasion who are familiar with them, Genghis Tron is like a synth metal album, and it's not really that hard rocking of an album, but yet it's got kind of you know fast drums and some hard guitars, but it also mixes in synth with it too, and it's actually just kind of a beautiful soaring listen. Highly recommend that. Next is Private Sunshine by Lou Hayter, H-A-Y-T-R. She is English or Australian. I I can't remember if she's English or Australian. I need to do some more research, clearly. But she was, uh, I believe, the lead singer of a band called New Young Pony Club that was big. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just totally, if you love beats, you love stuff you can dance to, uh, this album, Private Sunshine, feels like an ode to like late, mid to late 80s, um, electro pop from, you know, like, like American and English, like, you know, electro pop. It sounds like something that I could play songs off of. And I told you it was from 1988. You would totally believe me. Um, my top two, or the, the, the final two, A Way Forward by Nation of Language. Nation of Language's debut album last year, um, Introduction Presence, was my number one album of 2020. They followed it up with their sophomore LP this year, A Way Forward. It is an incredible album that genuinely sounds, their sound can best be described as early to mid 80s uh, new wave alternative. Like they sound like I could play them along with Echo and the Bunnymen and New Order. And you would, and if I played that album for you, you would think that it had been made in 1982 and you would, you would not even phase you at all. Seamlessly hit the Vice City soundtrack. Oh yeah. There you go. Perfect. It, it absolutely does that. And then my final one that I recommend this year, infinite granite by deaf heaven, deaf heaven are a, they've been kind of a metal band, but this album is a total shoegaze album. So if you're a slow dive or a, my bloody Valentine or a early verve fan, Man, you will love this album. It's incredible. Uh, it's just it, it rocks hard, but yet it is not. It's not. It's not the it's so hard to rock that if you're kind of a, if you're kind of squeamish about metal sounds that it's gonna it's gonna make <laughs> you crazy. It just it rocks hard enough. The songs have great hooks, very very great pop sensibilities to them in terms of just songs that will stick in your head for a long time. So those are just five albums from this year that, and again, I think I'll put, uh, I'll put a little playlist together out and share it on, um, share it on the blue room Twitter uh, for later on. Les, I asked if you would bring, you know, two or three albums from this year that you absolutely love. You're one of my music leaders. Uh, you are one of the people who, whose opinion I value most. So what have you got for me? I've got a different five. Um, Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, quite quite predictably, I've got two Wirral albums and I've got a Liverpool one as well. Um, first one, okay. Coral, Coral Island. Um, it was just classically the Coral. It's such a good album. Um, the Coral. The first, list, first time I listened to it, I was slightly underwhelmed because there was nothing that really jumped out. Um, you know, like some of the some of the, the bigger hits that we play we play live. They're such a good live band as well. The Coral, like, the Coral are a Liverpool band, yeah. They're from Hoylake. From the Oblong man. Okay. So, um, but yeah, when they do a live set, they definitely play to the crowd. So they're not one of these bands who go, 
right, we're going to do six of our, of our new album, which is out next week, and everyone goes to the bar for a drink. They will do all the songs that people want. But this, so this album, when I first heard it, nothing really jumped out like that. But then a couple of listens in, it is just a wonderful sort of seaside town album. No, nothing like the the album that takes repeated listens and then rewards you more over time. You know, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. especially when Love you've got it. high hopes for it and you think, oh, it wasn't what I expected, and then actually, yeah, it was more than that. Uh, next one, she drew the gun. Behave myself. Mm. So, she drew the gun. Okay. Yeah, I think she's from Birkenhead. Um, so it, I love how local. I love how local you are. By the way. <laughs> All right, got it. Yeah, so what, tell me what she drew the gun sounds like. Oh wait, no, she drew the gun was on one of our early um, turn playlists back in the day, I believe. Yes. Yeah, I think okay. it was. So it's. I can't really. Describes the some the some like electro sounds in there. It's it's quite politically motivated. Mm-hmm. She is from Wirral as well, Louisa Roach. Um, is the album called? Uh, is it next on the list? Oh, I believe myself is the new album from this year. Oh, the okay, for some reason, yeah, I'm only finding her singles, but yeah, I will check that out. Yeah, uh, next one's Arm and Hammer. Oh, uh, yeah, I've been hearing about that. Yeah, which is like it's uh, I've only been listening to it the last week. But it's really good sort of jazz hip hop stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, that taste. Uh Saint Etienne, I've been trying to tell you. Have you listened to much Saint Etienne? I dude, I love I've I've gotten into Saint Etienne kind of late in life. Yeah. Um I recently, I wanna say here, hold on one second. I recently uh got into because I played them on the show. Um, God, it was a couple months ago, I think. Um, but I put that their 1991 album Fox Base Alpha Amazing. is just an incredible album. I played uh, I played a, a song called Spring from that album, which is incredible. Yeah, um, yeah, no. Uh, so they, yeah, they have a new. I forgot that they had a new album out this so year. If if you're hoping for anything like you're in a bad way, anything poppy like that, it's not that. It's the other way. You've gone really okay. chill and quite electronic. Um, yeah. It's really good though. Uh, I think I think they've done one of the best cover versions ever, which is quite low key, but um, only love can break your heart. Mm, an amazing okay. cover version by them. Uh, and the last one's Clinic, Fantasy Island. Oh, Clinic! Now there's another Merseyside band that I've played on the show several times. Yeah. They've always had a very distinct sound, like you know when you're hearing Clinic. For yeah, sure. it, it, it's quite psychedelic and quite electro, but it's definitely yeah, yeah it's very Clinic. Uh, so yeah, they, they've got a new album out as well this year. So that's Does my five. Clinic- does Clinic still do the bit where I mean they wear the 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 surgical scrubs and the masks on stage and everything? I'm not, I hope so because remember when they first started, that was their thing, wasn't it? Yeah, and now it seems ahead of its time, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, they, they were just being like safe and, and like hygiene. <laughs> they were um, COVID yeah, ready before there was COVID. Yeah, no. that's my five. And I didn't I, when I put the list together before, I didn't realize I'd actually done three from round round our way. Yeah, now that's I'm, all right. I'm very parochial, aren't I? If nothing else. Les, you're a man. You're a man of your city. I, I love it. I <laughs> love it. Um, well, good. See, look, that's and and I think I added all of them. And if I can't find one, I'll I'll, I'll add it later. I'll I'll put out a little uh, little mini uh, kick about 2021 playlist uh, and post it to the Blue Room account. Um, Les, thanks for spending a little extra time. I know we went a little bit over, but no, man, I, just, I had you on to talk about me. I had you on. I had to ask about music, buddy. 
Yeah, oh no, fully into it, man. Um, yeah, send us those albums as well. I'll take a listen. I need some new stuff. 100%. 100%. Well, guys, uh, that is that is it for this week uh, here on The Kickabout. Um, we have got uh, a lot, obviously, just the, the usual slew of shows coming up this week, the weekly, subs weekly. Uh, I think some of these are either coming out today. We're recording on Wednesday. Kickabout will be out. I think you'll probably be listening to this by Thursday. And then, of course, you will have post-match coming up on, now we found out, Sunday. I'm glad I an extra day to enjoy <laughs> the Arsenal victory. Uh, but for Les Roberts, uh, I am Rob Vera. We will see you guys next time for more Kickabouts. Take care. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.